So part two of For the Sake of the One, how to make friends in heaven. And Jesus taught us this in Luke chapter 16. And uh, Luke chapter 16 follows Luke chapter 15, that story of the prodigal son. Remember that story of the prodigal son? Well, this is the story that comes out of that story, comes after that story. It's often we, we stop in our Bibles and we think, that's good, I'm gonna stop there, and then we don't put the chapters together. And I just wanna remind you that the chapter divisions in your Bibles were not part of the original text of the Bible. We're supposed to read right from Luke chapter 15 into Luke chapter 16. And so let's take a look at what Jesus says after the story of the prodigal son. Stand with me at all of our locations, wherever you are. If you got your Bibles open, read with me, or read along with me, you don't have to read, but just Read along with me. And we're gonna pick it up in verse one of chapter 16. Here's what he says. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought against him that the man was wasting his master's possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management because you can't be manager any longer. In other words, you're gonna get fired. And the Bible says in verse three, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do? I'm too ashamed to beg, and I'm not strong enough to dig. Verse four, I've decided what I should do, so that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And uh, the man said, a hundred measures of oil. He says, you know what, take your bill, make it 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe my master? He said, I owe him 100 measures of wheat. He says, take your bill, make it 80. The manager commended, listen to this, verse eight. The manager commended, I'm sorry, the master. The master commended the manager, the dishonest manager, for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, this is Jesus saying to his disciples, and I tell you, what? What does he tell us? Make friends. Somebody say, make friends. make friends. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now some teaching. One who is faithful with little is gonna be faithful with much. One who is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. He says, if you have not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, that is money, who will entrust you with true riches? That is people. And verse 12 says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then this passage, listen to this little qualifier, this little descriptive here of the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the words of this text become real to our hearts, to our lives, to how we live. In these next few moments, I pray you pause the noise of the world and that we hear Jesus and that we see him, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. 
So I'm uh, going to ask somebody up here in our North Attleboro location, forgive me other locations, I, I'm just going to ask somebody here in front row, uh, who, who in the front row liked the message from last week? One, two, three, four, five out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I got work to do this week. Okay. 50% approval rating. I got to get that up. Um, all right. Who's got their hand up? Who's got their hand up? Yes. Okay. What, what, what text were we in last week? No, not Romans. No, not Exodus. Okay. Now you're just guessing. Okay. Over here. Luke 14. Thank you with the Mickey and Minnie shirt. Amen. God bless you. Move to Florida. It's much warmer. Okay. Anyway. Luke 14, we are in Luke 14, and I believe that Luke 14, Luke 15, Luke 16 are a cohesive whole where Jesus is having a, 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 an interaction with two groups of people, the disciples, the sinners, the sinners, the people who are coming to Jesus because they know they're sinners. By the way, that's the only way you come to Jesus is because you know you're a sinner. And the Pharisees, and these are the people who didn't think they were sinners. They thought that they were the good people. And we talked about this last week, that in Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes to the house of a Pharisee, a ruling Pharisee, and he has a dinner with them, and they invite him over, and, and they must have finished that dinner and said, let's never invite Jesus over again. Because what happened? He just annoyed them the whole time. Like he was just telling them, listen, this is all wrong. You're inviting the wrong people and, and you're having the wrong party and, and you're, you're jockeying for position. And, and oh, by the way, I just want to let you know that the party that my father's throwing, none of you were invited. I mean, that's, that's the number one way to get yourself never invited again. Some of you are like, I'm taking notes for Thanksgiving dinner this afternoon. Okay, anyway. So Jesus is kind of like outcast from the Pharisees' party. He goes to another party in Luke 15. It might have been Matthew's party. Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, the hated sinner, throws a party, has all his tax collector and public and friends over to hang with Jesus. And Jesus is hanging out and eating with them. And in that passage, the Bible says in Luke 15 that the Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors and they grumbled and they said, this guy can't be from God. He's eating with sinners. And then Jesus tells them three stories, right? Three stories in Luke 15. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. Okay, all right, son. That's the prodigal son story. Just mentioned it five minutes ago. All right, nonetheless. And in all three stories, somebody searches. Well, I'm sorry. In all three stories, something's lost, something's found, and there's a party. Something's lost, something's found, and there's a... Yeah, something's lost, something's found, and there's a... Party, all right, Jesus likes parties. I like that about Jesus. Anybody with me, I'm in. All right, so now he's having a party with sinners and the Pharisees are, are getting mad that he's eating with these sinners. And we think that the story of the prodigal son is about lost sons coming home. But that's not really what it's about. Because the story ends with the main point of the story. That though this lost son who wasted his father's possessions on wild women and song, came home to the father and the father wrapped his arms around him and put the robe on him and put the ring on his finger, put the sandal on his finger and killed the fattened calf. There was another son, wasn't there? The older, obedient, moral, you could say religious son. And he was out in the field working and he heard the sound of celebrating. And he goes to the servant and he says, what's the sound that I hear in my ear? And the servant says, your, son, your brother who was lost has come home and your father has killed a fattened calf for him. And the older brother's heart just gets all worked up into a knot. And he doesn't go in. And the father has to leave the house to go reach out to the older son. By the way, the father in both cases in the case of the young son coming home and in the case of the old son not coming home, the father left the house both times to go reach out to them. 
And he goes to the older son and he says, what's going on? And he goes, all these years I've slaved for you. How would you fathers like your son to say that to you one day? All these years I've been your slave. Well, thanks, son. Love you too. Okay. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I never once asked for anything, and you never once gave me a goat to celebrate with my friend. But when this son of yours, this is verse 30, it's up on the screen right now. When this son of yours came home, who has devoured your, your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father says, what? We had to celebrate. And by the way, everything that I have is yours. But this, this brother of yours, he's come home. He was lost, he's found. We had to party. We had to, listen to this very carefully, spend money to throw a party to welcome him home. And on the heels of that text, on the heels of that moment where Jesus is identifying the religious rejection of the Pharisees and the, and the religious moral people and the embrace and the acceptance of the immoral people, Jesus tells them this weird story, Jesus' most confounding parable of this dishonest manager who's wasting his master's money and, and suddenly he realizes that he's gonna lose his job so he starts cutting deals. He starts making deals with all of the vendors in his master's business and so he starts doing Black Friday sales, like 80% off, 50% off, everything must go. And it's like he's trying to set himself up for a job with one of these vendors so that when he loses his job there, he's well off that in the life to come. And Jesus commends this guy and he tells us, we're sorry, I just see the Pharisees are like, this is another story that we don't understand. The guy that, sh that should be judged gets, gets accepted and the guy who's accepted doesn't get judged and all this kind of stuff. They're just all, all miffed at this story. And Jesus sums it up and says, here's what I'm trying to tell you guys. Use your money to make friends in heaven so that when your money here is gone, and it will be one day, you'll have somebody welcoming you into the eternal reward in the life to come. Here's the number one things that Christians get wrong about money. I want you to write this down. Number one thing Christians get wrong about money, all locations, write it down. That money has nothing to do with the mission of Jesus. It has everything to do with the mission of Jesus. Somebody's gotta pay for the party. Somebody's gotta pay for the wine and the fattened calf and the streamers and the welcome home sign for the lost sons and daughters that God's gonna bring home. And I think you gotta understand this about Waters Church, that all of our locations understand this. You will never truly get what this church is about until you bring someone with you who doesn't know Jesus. Did you hear me? Because this church is not built for older, religious, obedient, moral sons. This church is built to celebrate the return of the rebellious, the immoral, the decadent, the levitious, all the bad sons and daughters that God is in the business of bringing back home after the world has chewed them up and spit them out. I'll tell you something, you really appreciate our church when you bring an unsaved friend. When you bring an unsaved friend, you're gonna be like, I hope the music is good. I hope the coffee is warm. I hope Pastor Tim's preaching. I hope, come on somebody, you know that's what you're saying. I know you, I hope, I hope. Because you want your unsaved friend, your, your non-Christian friend to enjoy the party. And someone's gotta pay for it. 
And this is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. You love money. You love money. And because you love money, you don't care about people. And Jesus says, I love people. I don't give a rip about money. But let's use our money to make a difference in people's lives. Amen, somebody. Now, Jesus is going to talk about money, and I'm going to talk about it because Jesus talked about it. Some of you are like, oh, first time back in church in a long time, he's talking about money. But Jesus knows something about you. He knows that money is going to be the chief opposition to the affection of your heart for God. He does. Luke 16, 13 was in this text. He says, you cannot serve God in what? Notice what he doesn't say. You can't serve God and your friends. You can't serve God and the world. You can't serve God and the devil. Let's face it, nobody's really serving the devil except a couple of weirdos in Texas. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? So you can't serve God and money, meaning you're gonna serve one or the other. And here's why we serve money or God, because money promises what only God can deliver. Money promises what only God can deliver. Money promises significance. Only God can give you significance. Money promises you security. Only God can truly give you security. Because here's what's gonna happen. When you die, you're gonna leave it all behind. And you never know when you're gonna die. I mean, if anything that this last 18 months has taught us is this, that life is fragile and we're all gonna die. That's why we're all arguing about boosters. We're all arguing about vaccines. We're all arguing about our masks. We're all arguing about what we should do to be safe. Be safe, be safe, healthy, safe. Trying to keep you safe, trying to keep you safe. Your safety is the highest priority of this company. But safe, 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 safe. And it's like, wait a second, what are we doing? It's a fool's errand to think that you're safe. You're never safe. You're never safe. You could have an aneurysm before I'm done preaching. I pray it doesn't happen, but it could happen. You could get shot tomorrow. I could get shot right now. A couple of years ago in Colorado Springs, there was a shooting in the church. Somebody got shot in the church. And I remember our security team came up to me and said, Pastor, don't worry, we got your back. You're never gonna get shot. I said, don't rob me of my blessing. <laughs> Do you understand that if I get shot preaching about Jesus, that's like straight access to the front row seat of the heaven glory. Come on, somebody. St. Peter at the gate, what were you doing when you got shot? I was preaching about Jesus right this way, coming to meet the Holy Son of God. Here we go. <laughs> Safety is an illusion, friend. Safety is an illusion. Everybody's gonna die. And nobody died of COVID who wasn't already scheduled to die. Yes. So money promises safety, it gives you nothing. Money promises you oh, um, happiness. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just ask the last billionaire that shot himself. Money offers you family. Not necessarily. Sometimes money breaks up a family. Just take you for a day in divorce court to watch that thing go down. You are either serving God or you're either serving or you're serving money. Jesus never said, "Watch out. Be on your guard against adultery." Jesus never said, watch out, be on your guard against lying. Jesus never said, watch out, be on your guard against stealing. Never said that. But he did say repeatedly, most notably in Luke 12, 15, beware, guard against every kind of what? Greed. Jesus knows that greed is hard to see. Somebody say, greed is hard to see. It's hard to see in me. It's hard to see. Well, it's easy to see in thee. It's hard to see in me. It's just so funny how we compare our morality to people who are worse than us. I'm not that great, but that guy's really bad. 
but then we compare our financial situation to everybody who's better than us. God, why do you bless them so much and not me? It's kind of funny how that goes, right? Maybe it's because we actually think we're moral and we deserve more. I'll just let that settle right there where you're not saying amen because that's, anyway. And so Jesus tells this story because he knows that greed is hard to see. You never lie and say, oh shoot, I just lied. I can't believe I just, you know when you're lying. You don't see that, oh my gosh, I just stole. Oh my Lord. You're never shocked when you commit adultery. You're like, wait a second, you're not my wife. Wait, how did this happen? But greed is hard to see. You're either serving God or you're serving money. And here's the point of this whole weird parable in Luke 16. Take your money and use it the way God wants you to use it. Use it to fund the mission to bring the prodigal sons and daughters home. December 11th and 12th, all locations. December 11th, I say because Saturday night up here in North Attleboro, December 12th at all of our locations, we are having our end of year offering for the sake of the one offering. Want you to be ready. Want you to prepare your heart to give your best possible end of year gift so that we can fund the future projects, most notably Tiverton Fall River locations so we can pay off some debts in Apollo Beach and in Woonsocket so we can get ourselves financially strong because we're not done Yet, in Jesus' name, got some more campuses that we want to plant to the glory of God. Why? Because we want to reach out to the sons and daughters who are lost across the world. So I want to tell you about how to handle God's money with God, how to handle money with God's mission in mind. Point number one, if you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. Handling money with God's mission in mind. It's not yours, number one. Your money's not yours. That's what Jesus is saying here in this text. Because look at what verse one says, he says that he said to his disciples, here's, here's, how, here's how it's going down with your money. Uh, there was a manager who was accused of, uh, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Okay, you're not the rich man in this parable. You're the manager. And everything that you have in life is not really yours. It was not yours in the beginning. You're just, you're just managing it for however many years you have on this planet. In fact, everything that you own is already God's. God owns a cat on a thousand hills. The Bible says in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's. Everything on this planet belongs to God. You say, but I really worked for what I have, Pastor. I really worked. Oh, yes, I know you worked, but somebody had to give you the opportunity. Somebody had to feed you when you were a baby. Nobody came out of the womb saying, let me have a job. I'm ready to get busy. Nobody did that. Somebody had to take care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself, right? That's how life goes. Somebody had to set you up for some chance. You're like, well, I didn't really have that many chances. I had to claw scrape. I had to, I had to go all the way, you know, work my butt off and all the kinds of elite nights. And I did all this. Nobody gave me a chance, Pastor. Okay, but somebody gave you oxygen, right? Like that came from someone. That came from God. Everything that you have and everything that you've gained is actually by the gracious hand of Almighty God. And God is more gracious than you know. And by the way, God is more gracious than you like. That's why some of you complain about who has more than you and they're not as moral as you. And so God in generosity loans us stuff. Write this down. Everything we own is really on loan. Everything, the money in your pocket right now, the children that you have, they're not really yours. Some of you are like, praise Jesus. <laughs> they're on loan to you. 
And then, and then one day they're going to leave your house, hopefully, praise God, and uh, they're going to do their own thing. And, and that's how life works. That's how life works. And when you die, you're going to leave it all behind. You're not taking anything with you. You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You heard about the guy that died, and they asked him how much did he leave behind? He said, all of it. Everything gets left behind. So you manage it. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8, 18, you shall remember that it is the Lord who gives you the power to gain what? Wealth. God gives you the power to get rich. God gives you the power to get money. That comes from God, not from you. Your, your heart is pumping. Anybody trying to get their heart to pump today? Anybody wake up saying, man, get going, heart. Let's go. I got to do something. No, that's because God has already pre-programmed your uh, physiological makeup to give you heart that pumps blood through your vessels, gives you eyes to see, ears to hear, hands to work, feet to move. You have everything that you have right now because of God Almighty who gives you the power to gain wealth. By the way, it's the people that forget that that get the most depressed, most miserable, most egotistical, most prideful, most arrogant because they don't think that God had anything to do with it. They think he, they had everything to do with it. And that's why they become lonely because nobody likes pride people as friends. And so you got to learn how to have a humble gratitude over everything that you've got in your life. When you look at your life, don't take one day a year to say thanks. Take every day of the year to say thanks. The Bible says give thanks in all things. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 10, says, the blessing of the Lord makes what? It makes rich. God's not, God's not against riches. God's not against riches. A lot of rich people do a lot of good for the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, the blessing of the Lord adds riches and he adds no sorrow with it. If you get rich God's way, you get no sorrow tagging along. You can get rich your way and get in a heap of trouble and burn relationships along the way. Or you can get rich God's way and you can have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Amen, somebody. Amen. Number two, I'm accountable to God. You are accountable for how you're gonna handle God's money. That's just what this, that's what this text says about the manager of the master's money. The manager was suddenly called to account. He was. Uh, look at verse two of chapter 16. It says, and he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? This is verse two. Turn in the account of your management for you cannot be manager any longer. In other words, someday your accounting, your managing of God's possessions is gonna come to an account and God's gonna hold you accountable to what you did with his money. Gonna hold me accountable too. Now you either reject that or you, be or you believe that. Here's the deal. Some of you are saying to me right now, some of you are watching, you're saying, I don't believe in God, so I don't really need to worry about this. You got a 50-50 shot. Yeah, all right, you got a 50-50 shot that you're right or I'm right. If I'm right, I lose nothing. If I'm, if I'm right, you lose everything. So you got a 50-50 shot. I don't like those odds with eternal damnation, but maybe you do anyway. <laughs> I'm accountable to God about how I handle this money. So, so pastor, all right, all right, I got it. So what should I be doing? I'm gonna give you six things that you should be doing with God's money. Number one, tithe. Number one, you tithe to God. What does, that, what does that word mean? Tithe means one-tenth. Ten in the Bible is the number of testing. Ten means test. I can give you passage after passage about this. Uh, how many, how many um, laws did God give Israel? Ten commandments. How many plagues did God pour over the Egyptians to test Pharaoh's heart? Ten plagues. How many, how many days were there between uh, Jesus' ascension and the Holy Spirit's descension? 10. Uh, how, many, um, uh, how many disciples did Jesus have? 
12. I was just testing you. <laughs> God's number for testing is 10. And the first tenth is a test. Of everything that you get is a test. What are you going to do with it? You're going to pay the mortgage? You're going to pay the electric bill? You're going to pay the light bill? What are you going to pay? Okay, you, gotta, you, you don't, and by the way, you don't give God your tenth. You bring, somebody say bring. bring. You bring it to God, because it's his anyway. I can't give God what's his. It's, oh, here you go, God, this is yours. I'm just bringing it back to you. I do this as a, as a pastor. We do this as a church. The first tenth, the first. By the way, you do it first. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your income. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the first tenth. First, do that first. So I do this as a pastor. I do this my life. I've been doing this my entire professional life. And every year, I've never had a year. Never once. Never once have I had a year. Well, actually, there is one year. But there's only one year where I lost income. And the one year that I lost income was when I left the secular work to become a full-time minister. <laughs> uh, that's what happens. But anyway, every year since, the Lord has blessed me abundantly and increased my life. He'll do it for you. You either believe that or you're not, or you don't. And by the way, Malachi says, test me. Check this out. He says, test. And by the way, it's Malachi 3.10. Isn't it funny? The 10, ver number 10 verse says, test me in this, as in to give me the first 10th as a test that I will be faithful to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. So as a church, we tithe 10%. All of our locations, listen up, listen up. We tithe 10% of everything that you give. You give us $10, a dollar goes out to other missionary endeavors that have nothing to do with this church. And by the way, we started doing this in 2013. In 2013, we were struggling financially. We were paycheck to paycheck as a church. We were basically at the point where we we're like, maybe some of us need to get secular jobs again because we can't pay all these bills. We need more money. So the Lord challenged me at a pastor's conference to tithe as a church, to do what did not make sense Financially, so we did. We decided to start tithing. We gave to the Providence Rescue Mission. We gave to Ark Church Planting. We gave to all these organizations to fund the gospel in other places. And in February, I have the numbers. You can look at the numbers. They're all recorded. In February of 2013 is when we started tithing. We were at $75,000 a month income. $75,000 a month income. In one year, we were at $160,000 a month income. God literally threw open the floodgates of heaven. I teach this because I know it's true. I've seen so many people tell me this. I've had so many testimonies come back. We have a, we have a, a financial advisor. He's gonna be on the deep end with me on Tuesday night. His name's Doug White. He's one of our elders and he, he manages people's retirements account. And we were talking about this on Wednesday and he said, Pastor, every single, 100% of the time, the people that honor God with the 10th have way more ready and saved than those who don't. 100% of the time. I said, I checked with him. He was here last night. I said, I checked with him. I want to tell this to the church again tomorrow morning. Uh, are you sure it's true? He said, it's 100% true. If you tithe, God blesses you. Now, you don't give to get. That's the wrong attitude. <laughs> now, some of you are like, oh, goody, I'm going to give 20%. Maybe God really bless me. No, that's not how it works, okay? That's just sanctified selfishness. You honor God because you believe that God has the power to bless your life. So you tithe. Number two, you save. Write it down, save. Save 10%. I tithe 10% as a family, and my wife and I, and we save 10% as a family. 10% to God, 10% to our future selves. And by the way, if you put it in certain retirement accounts and certain retirement funds, the government does not get to tax that money. So here's the best thing about America. And some of you need to pay attention because Joe Biden is presently changing the numbers and you gotta pay attention. Pay attention here real quick because some of you middle-income people, listen to me, your taxes are gonna go up 
when he promised to bring him down. And that's because he's going to lower that little, that little uh, uh, what is the automatic uh, deduction number. And you're not even going to pay attention. And because you don't tithe for a record, you're not going to get the deductions that you got last time. So just pay attention. If you tithe 10%, that can't be taxed. And if you save 10% in a retirement account, that can't be taxed. And I don't know about you, but I, for one, love to tell the government to stick it. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? I love it. Now the government doesn't get to tax me on 100% of what I made. He taxes me on 80% of what I made, and I get to tell him, stick it. God comes first. Anyway, you tithe, you save, uh, then you pay taxes. That's number three. Oh, boo. But I hate taxes, but I like roads. <laughs> you know, I hate taxes, but, you know, I like the, the, the benefits of a strong military. I like the benefits of, uh, you know, the government, the things that the government does right. Does a lot of things wrong, I get it, but this is government is a lot better than a lot of other governments. And by the way, Jesus actually endorses paying taxes. Bible trivia time at all of our locations. What's the phrase that Jesus uses in the Bible, you've probably heard it. It's like a cultural epitaph uh, that Jesus uses to endorse paying taxes. What's the phrase? Yeah, you're all saying. Render to what? To Caesar. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. In one verse, Mark 12, 17, Jesus endorses taxes. L let me say that again. In one verse, in one verse, once. Jesus endorses paying taxes. Don't you just wish he didn't do it? <laughs> you have to give us that one verse. All right. Some of the cheap, cheapskate Christians like to say, well, Jesus never talked about the tithe. Yes, he did. In one verse. That's Matthew 23, 23. The reason why we don't notice it is because it's in a, it's in a list of woes to the religious people. Matthew 23, 23, it says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe... And he says, mint, dill, cumin, because they didn't tithe money back then, they tithed goods. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Now look what he says last. These you ought to have done. What's the these? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Without neglecting the others, the tithe. Show justice, show mercy, show faithfulness, and put God first in a tithe. And so in one verse, Jesus endorses paying taxes, and I wish he didn't do that, but in one verse, he endorses paying the tithe, or bringing the tithe, because God is always the same in every generation. He didn't suddenly change his mind when Jesus died on the cross. And some people like to say, well, I'm under grace, not law. Well, the tithe actually happens before law. Actually happens with a guy named Abraham, and God blessed Abraham ex exceedingly. But the point is, is that Jesus endorsed both, and that's what we should do. So you tithe, you save, you pay taxes. Number four, you support your family. That's four. You support your family. If you're not supporting your family, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.8 that you're worse than an unbeliever. Listen to me, all the boys who want to play video games in mom's basement for the rest of eternity. Don't call yourself a Christian. Don't call yourself a Christian. Don't call yourself a God-fearer if you do not raise a family and fund a family and feed a family. A man is not somebody who can shoot pixels on a screen. A man is somebody who can work with his hands and earn a living for a woman and children. That's what a man is. 
And ladies, listen to me. If he doesn't have a job, he doesn't give you a ring. If he doesn't have a job, he ain't got nothing. So don't pay attention to the losers that don't work. I have to say this because the government says the exact opposite. I have to. I have to endorse what God endorses. I can't endorse what this government is endorsing. Paying you money to stay at home, paying you money to live in fear and get your shots and live, as, and live on, on, the, on the dole. I mean, there, we do need mercy money for people who can't work. We do. I'm a big fan of that. We need a social safety net. I'm absolutely 100% a fan of that. We should have that. But do you understand that when you take money and you can work, you're taking it away from the people who can't work? And God's going to hold you accountable for that. I don't have to hold you accountable. God will hold you accountable to that. Fund your family. Pay for your family. Number five, I believe that it is biblical to enjoy reasonable comforts. I really do. Reasonable comforts. Reasonable. <laughs> you don't need three lake houses. <laughs> you don't need five boats, all right? Reasonable comforts. Some of you have a boat. That's wonderful. I applaud that. You should have a boat. God bless you. Invite me on it. Because I don't want to own a boat. I want to have a lot of friends who have a boat. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? about anyway. <laughs> All right. You got a golf game. You got hobbies. You got things. Yeah. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, As for the rich in this age, charge them not to be haughty or to put their hopes in uncertain riches, but on God, who what? Richly provides us with everything to, last word, enjoy. God wants you to enjoy things. He's a big fan of you enjoying his stuff. God did not make this world with all of his decor, with all of his glory, with all of his splendid uh, ways in which you can manipulate the creation to create things. He didn't do that so that we could just live in poverty and act like we're spiritual because we're poor. No, he wants you to enjoy that. That's, no, that's not a problem. And then, and then number six, and finally, give generously. Give generously beyond the time. And I believe you should do that. Give, I, uh, we, my wife and I, we support Compassion International Children. We're going to be doing that again at all of our locations. Compassion Weekend is coming back in April. We're going to give you an opportunity to sponsor children overseas that have literally nothing, and you can put God's money in your hands to work for somebody else. The Bible says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And so we give generously. That's the accounting that God is going to hold us to according to the word. I've studied this exhaustively. You can take my word at it. So number three in the big points, okay? Handling God's money with God's mission in mind. I need to plan ahead, way ahead. <laughs> I need to plan ahead, way ahead. Here's how you handle God's money. You say, listen, this, this money is for not just right now. That's the buy now, pay later, folks. This money is for later. And I gotta put this money in ways that will benefit me later. So here's what we do. And actually it's right. We put money away. We say, we talked about that. But here's what the Lord gave me, a little visual illustration once again about our lives and about our money. Here is, are you ready? Here is your life. Your life is one big timeline, yeah? But what you don't realize is that this whole timeline is not the timeline that you're spending on earth. This is the timeline you're gonna spend in the next life because you're an eternal being, absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? Here's your life on this planet, the red section, that's you. That was when you couldn't change your own diaper. That's when you started driving your parents crazy. That's when you started driving and really driving your parents crazy. And by the way, everybody who's a teenager or 20-something, I put a little black mark here. Do you know what that is? You know what that is? Hey, listen to me, teens and 20s. Listen to me. 
That's high school and college in proportion to the rest of your life. Look at how small it is. Look at how small it is. In other words, teens and 20s, don't be stupid following the crowd now. You got a lot of life left to live. It's just a small little notch. If you're a loser in high school, who cares? Graduate with straight honors. Get yourself a good degree, good job, and then one day they'll be working for you and you could fire them. Amen. All right, anyway. <laughs> Here's what we do, though. We spend all this red to plan for that black. That black is your 80s, your 70s, and your 80s, and it's black because you can't see, you can't hear, and you can't change your own diaper again. <laughs> so we spend all this time worrying about this little section, and Jesus said, wait a second. There's 10,000 years. There's 20,000 years. There's 40,000 years. There's 50,000 years. There's 80, there's a million years. There's 5 million years. There's 60 million years. There's a billion years. There's eternal. Are you planning for the eternal life that is to come after this life? That's what Jesus says in this parable, Luke 16, verse 4. It says, I have decided what I will do so that I, when I remove from management, when I lose this life, I will have friends in the next one. Verse 8, in the New Living Translation, it says the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. He's got his mind right. He's thinking about what's coming next, not what's happening now. And he says this. He kind of he challenges us in verse 8. He says, it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their kind than the children of the light are. In other words, people who are living for today and know how to live for today are actually doing that better than the people who believe there's an afterlife yet to come where we're going to be rewarded for what we did for God in this life. Point number four, handling God's money with God's mission in mind. It can change someone's eternity, including mine. That's what money can do. It can change someone's eternity, including mine. I, I think about how many people have already been saved at our Apollo Beach location I think about how many have already been saved at our Woonsocket location. I think about how many people are gonna be saved at our Tiverton, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts location. I think about how many people Brandon and Michelle have reached in the Guatemala location already. Uh, dozens of people have come to Jesus, but somebody paid for that. Somebody paid for that through their tithes and offerings, through their generous giving, and their reward is recorded in heaven. This is why Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous with money. So that when it fails, you'll be welcomed into eternal blessings with a bunch of people welcoming you there. I want you, and Jesus wants you, and that's the point of this verse. Jesus is saying, I want you to walk through the pearly gates. I want you to walk into heaven. And everybody that you had a hand in helping get there because you gave to the gospel is gonna be sitting there saying, thank you for giving to the gospel. Your giving made it possible for me to hear the name of Jesus, put my faith in him, and get to this glorious location. Let's have a party. In the New Living Translation, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, here's the lesson. Use worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. People don't realize this is Jesus' words, not mine. So I got a question for you. What does God really care about? Really, write this down. What does God really care about? Do you think that God really cares if you're moral? He can forgive sin. He's already taken care of that. And yes, following the word of God is absolutely going to bless you and bless those around you. But when I read the Bible, when I read Jesus, when I see what Jesus is all about, he's about this. In, in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, the, the Bible says, 
in uh, John 3, 16, or uh, for, for verse, Acts 1, verse 8, uh, you shall be my witnesses to the ends of the world. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does God really care about? I mean, look at the record of scripture. Answer to that question is this. God, write this down, God cares about getting people out of hell and into heaven. And if we follow him, we should care about that too. Which is why in verse 10, he says, one who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. One who's dishonest in little will be dishonest with much. Here's what that means. The amount of money you have never changes who you are. If you have little and you're dishonest with it, you're gonna be dishonest with much. In other words, here's what he's saying. Don't say, well, I'll start tithing as soon as I get more money. Well, I'll start giving as soon as I get more. No, 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 if you can't do it now, you won't do it then. I love it when some of you say to me, Pastor, as soon as I win the lottery, I'm gonna give 10% to the church. No, you're not. Because when you win the lottery, all these second cousins are gonna come out of woodwork and ask you for free money. People you never even met are gonna be like, hey, you're the winner, aren't you? And they're like, oh, give me some money. And before you know it, you're gonna get stingy again because that's who you are. Everybody was so floored up here in New England with Aaron Hernandez. How could that happen? He made so much money, Aaron Hernandez. How could that happen? Because who you are with nothing is who you are with a lot. And money doesn't change that. Start with what you got. Start with what you got. And make an eternal difference in somebody's lives, including yours. Number five, it's a matter of worship. Money is a matter of worship because here's what the word worship means from the old English. It means worth. It comes from the old English, worthship. Worth, what's worth it to you? What's worth your money? Now, I have hobbies. I got hobbies that I think money's worth it. Well, before that, I got, friend, I got my, my kids, and my kids are worth it, and so money goes to them, and my family's worth it, money goes to them, and eating absolutely is worth it, money goes, having a house, all the, worth it, absolutely. But you know what the number one thing that's worth it is seeing people come out of darkness and enter into God's marvelous light. There's nothing more worth it than that. There's nothing more worth it. I love what I do. I, I don't know if you do, but I don't get... I don't work. I haven't worked for 20 years. This is fun for me. I do this for free. Don't tell the board of directors, okay? <laughs> I love this because I partner with all of you people at all of our locations to see people come out of, of divorce situations and come out of drugs and come out of alcoholism and come out of materialism and come out of pride and come out of all these situations and come out of loneliness and, and suicide. I mean, we just had someone get, get baptized today, didn't we? We just had somebody get baptized with suicidal and through the gospel message of this church, they now have new life coming from the inside. Hallelujah, Jesus. There's nothing more exciting than being on the front row seat to see someone come to Jesus. And I don't understand how Christians can claim to love Jesus and not give a rip about what he cares about. We'll put all kinds of money into our favorite sports teams. We'll put all kinds of money into soccer for our kids. We'll put all kinds of money into our wardrobe. We'll put all kinds of money into shoes that we will fawn over today and give to savers tomorrow. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter. It's all going to go away anyway. Everything's going to be burned up. Do you know what lasts? The Word of God and the people of God. Those are the two things that are eternal investments that will never lose their value. 
So I am asking you on December 12th to get real about this and to care about what God cares about. And if you're a business owner, maybe you need to give up from your business income. Maybe you need to give from the, from the bottom line of your business and say, I'm gonna put this, you know, do it in, in a little bit of a selfishness. Tax deduction season, let's go. Let's get this in before the end of the year so that I can put my money, God's money, into what God cares about. Here's why, are you ready? Here's the linchpin, here's the linchpin. Because someone already did that for you. Summing up the sermon, money is a tool that God can use to change lives for eternity. And the question is, am I investing in that? That's what December 12th is all about. Get yourself ready. Get your number down. God spoke to me already about my, my number. I was a little bit shocked with what the, the number that the Lord gave me. I was a little bit like, oh, are you sure, Lord? He said, yes. So I'm gonna give my best end of year gift so that we can reach people for the gospel.